Hello everyone, welcome back to the Green Red and Mourner show here on Newcastle Fans TV. This is, well, a Newcastle guest, one of the main right-backs of the Saboy Robson era, some would argue, and particularly the 2002-03 season when Newcastle reached the Champions League and had matches against the likes of Barcelona, Inter Milan and Juventus. And Sam, the Juventus game is very poignant for this latest guest on the Green Red and Mourner show. Absolutely, Andy Griffin got the winner. Stuff buff on own goal. It was uh, it was an Andy Griffin goal. So, I mean, we're recording this intro before we've done the interview. So, I, I am going to ask him if it irritates him that it gets put down as a buff on own goal in, instead of his goal because it irritates me. So, it's bound to knock him a bit, isn't it? Um, but yeah, no proper right back, winning proper aggressive um, fullback, really, wasn't he? Yeah, three goals for Newcastle and 104 appearances for the club and played in an FA Cup final, son. Yeah, he did. We were bound to get one who had sooner rather than later. And of course, that 1999 game against Manchester United, obviously Manchester United going for the treble. This is the second part of their treble um, and it was a pretty comfortable afternoon, but we're going to discuss that game and obviously the Rude Huller era. So, uh, so, so Kenny Daglisha now is he's, he's called and um, I have to mention that obviously he bought Andy to the club and then obviously the the late the great Savoy Robson as well so three different managers and it'll be interesting to talk about the contrast of styles Sam yeah all very different characters wasn't it um, so yeah it should be good I'm looking forward to this I wanted another ex-player on before Christmas so I'm glad we uh, we've done it Um also want to ask him about um, Stoke because he power didn't know this until like we'd booked him, but he lives about half an hour from me, so and I didn't know it all this time. So small world, isn't it? Yeah, lucky you. Uh, big thanks to our sponsors, Beer Fifty Two. Christmas is just around the corner, and if you want to start with all the festive uh, drinking. Beer 52 is the place to go. Beer52.com forward slash NFTV for eight cans of any type of beer, AR, lager, or IPA. Just the price of postage and packaging, which is £5.95 as well. Um, but Sam, this is a player that's seen probably the best of recent times at Newcastle. Fourth, third, left Newcastle when we finished fifth. Um, we haven't really seen seasons like that, so it'll be interesting to see what the mentality was like with the club as well. Yeah, um, I'm interested to find out the, the comparison between like the two successful dressing rooms. Like when we spoke to Warren Barton and Lee Clark, it was very um, a jovial dressing room, very united, and all went out on the piss together. Rather than, I have a feeling this one would be a bit more um, divided. Yeah, we'll have to ask Andy about that. But well, was he on the the young? Guns with the likes of Bellamy, maybe, or was he with the likes of Alan Shearer and Gary Speed? God rest his soul. So it'd be interesting to see how it all transpired. But this is a podcast. A couple, I've got only got a couple left, Sam, until until the Christmas and New Year. We'll have a little bit of a break, but um, so much to look forward to on the Green Minimal on the show. Yeah, the Christmas slash New Year special. It's in full flow now. Um, yeah, one to look forward to. For sure. Well, this is the Green and Mullen show with the former Newcastle fullback, Andy Griffin. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Green and Mullen show here on Newcastle Fans TV. 
alongside our co-host Sam Miller, as myself, Jonathan Greenwood. And today we have a Newcastle United fullback who famously scored against Juventus. It is, of course, Andy Griffin. Andy, welcome to the Green and Miller show here on Newcastle Fans TV. Thank you very much. Uh, Andy, I think first things first, what are you doing now with yourself? Apparently, I hear you've got the, it's like a football academy that you help run, is that correct? Yeah, so I mean, I retired in, well, I think it was roughly six years ago. I had 18 months off, got three young children, had a little bit of family time. Uh, and then I thought, well, well, what next? And nothing was really kind of jumping out at me. Uh, I enjoyed my time off. But then almost every day became the same kind of day. So it was a case of trying to get off my backside and, and try to find something. I got a phone, phone call from the college and asked me would I be interested in coming down and doing a little bit of coaching. I've been here six years now and we've evolved. We have the Andy Griffin Football Academy, where, which basically, uh, within the academy, it's a football programme um, that obviously offers uh, BTEC Level 2, Level 3, A-Levels. I guess it's kind of a, the complete package if you're thinking, well, you know, you, you love your football and you're trying to get a good education as well. So uh, overall, it's it's a wonderful package, and I'm happy doing what I'm doing. Fantastic. I think I think Sam, everyone would want that, wasn't it? It's like the best of both worlds if you're yeah. thinking of something about what, what you want to do in the future, isn't it? Absolutely, it's always an option, isn't it? I mean, Andy, is is the plan for you to are you happy kind of doing what you're doing, or do you have ambitions to kind of coach in oh. like you know full time and you know. We're both in Staffordshire. There's there's a former club of yours just down the road. So, like, I don't know if you've got aspirations of coaching with maybe the Stoke youth team or, you know, further along that line, or are you happy doing what you're doing now? Good question. Good question, Sam. To be perfectly honest, I am very happy doing what I'm doing. And there is a real sense of giving back to the community. Um, I get a real satisfaction from helping young people try to become the best that they can become um, on the football pitch. Obviously, the classroom uh, side of things isn't down to me. That's down to the college. Um, but I think without trying to look too far into the future, is is management something that I would like to to give a go? Maybe. I mean, management at any level, you are constantly juggling five or six balls at one time with almost one hand. So whether you want to throw yourself into the lines then or not, we'll see. We'll see. But if I was to go into it, Sam, I would be try. Well, I would want to go into it as well equipped as possible to succeed and to go as high as I possibly could. Right now is not the time. Um, I, I'm certainly not experienced enough. So when that time will come, if it ever does come, I don't know, because like I said, I, I try not to look too far into the future. We just don't know what's, what's around the corner. Um, so we'll see. Watch this pace, I guess. Well, you certainly have a lot of managers at Newcastle, Andy, that you could get some fantastic advice from. But you arrive on Tyneside in 1998. Obviously, Kenny Daglish, or Sir Kenny Daglish, I should say now, uh, brought you into the club. Um, what was that first feeling when you heard that Newcastle were interested, Andy? Well, I mean, at that time, 
obviously I was at Stoke City and I, I always remember Newcastle coming down and they, and they, they played Stoke in a cup game uh, at the old Victoria ground and it was almost just the aura of that club, that team, it was under Keegan. Uh, 4,000 fans come down to the Victoria ground and these players are almost almost godlike, you know, the likes of Les Ferdinand, that, that era. And I just thought, if I ever got the opportunity to go to a football club like that, or Liverpool, Liverpool or Newcastle, um, because I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a Wigan I'm a Wigan lad. All all my all my family support Liverpool, but there was just something about Newcastle, particularly at that time. You know the the football that they were playing, and just everything that surrounded the football club. It was such an exciting football team to watch, and I thought if that ever comes up, that's the club I, I want to go to. Um, and yeah, I mean when I mean I, I remember when I first went up, and it was. It was almost breathtaking, really. You know, I went from living in Stoke-on-Trent in a two-up, two-down, catching the bus in the morning uh, or walking to training or getting lifts with uh, with teammates because uh, I couldn't drive, to then being plucked from, from Stoke City to Newcastle United, where I think the previous year they finished second, so they were a top-four club to them being placed in a lovely flat on the quayside. <laughs> you walk into the dressing room, you've got football in royalty. You know, players that I idolised, Stuart Pearce, John Barnes, Dag Leach is the manager, Ian Rush is there, uh, Alan Shearer, um, David Batty, Robbie Lee, Phil Al- Philip. You're like, <sighs> it was, it was, ner- it, it was nerve wracking. I was, I guess I was intimidated at first and I just went in head down, didn't really have the confidence uh, to speak to anybody. Um, so the first few months was, was quite tough, really trying to to adapt. I went from my comfort zone to a monster of a football club with, to me, what were superheroes in the, in the dressing room, almost not real people. Um, but I guess once I got over that and, and thought to myself, well, you know what, you've earned the right to be here. Kenny obviously sees something in you. Um, enjoy the show, enjoy the ride. Um, and I very much did. Was it quite an accepting dressing room, Andy? Because um, it was a bit of a transitional period under Kenny. A lot of um, players leaving from Kevin Keegan era. And when we had Warren Barton on the show, during that time he said all the squad used to go out together and work hard, play hard kind of thing. Um, what was the dressing room like when you first went in that room? You say there's loads of characters there. Were they quite accepting of you or could you see like little clicks around around the dressing room? No, I think it was, it was a tight dressing room. They were all in it together. I didn't really see any clicks. Um, but I guess for me, I, I went in there and it's, Everything's a little bit of a. You're in almost a daze. You're kind of shocked that you're you're there. So you go in, you don't you, and you just keep your head down. You don't want to come across as uh, as arrogant or, you know, that you've got, um, you know, maybe a little bit of a chip on your shoulder. So I, I just went in and just kept my head down and, and worked hard and and yeah, it was 
I guess there was a lot of experienced players there and I, and I was very young. And when you're a young player, you, I guess you don't really have that much in, in common with, with the senior players. I did feel as if I had to earn the right to kind of be accepted. Uh, and I think you, and, and that's, I, I think that's down to, to me, not how those, how, how the players made me feel because they were all very warm, very welcoming, obviously a very competitive environment because you're at the top of the ladder. So I remember one game in particular where I played against David Ginola. It was the 1998 uh, FA Cup semi-final at Old Trafford. And it was a battle that I won. And I then felt after that game, and it's probably one of the biggest games in my career, not not just at Newcastle, just generally speaking, where I, I won that battle that day. Obviously, we won the game 2-0. Alan gets his two goals. Um, where you do feel, yeah, I I am good enough to be to be in this team. It's fantastic. You basically said you had David Ginola in your pocket. Um. <laughs> I'm not saying that. I, I, what I am saying is I won the battle that day. I didn't win all the battles uh, yeah. when I when I come up against him. I, I remember playing playing at White Hart Lane. I think it was roughly two or three weeks earlier, and he turned me inside out. But you learn, you live, and you learn. Uh, and I remember before the final, I got uh, I got some post, and it was off a Spurs fan. And it's basically a picture of me on the floor with David Ginola going past me and he's saying, you know, this is this is basically what's going to happen to you again. Well, it obviously didn't. Did you send him a picture oh. back of you in the, uh, of the, of the cup final, basically just with like was it the two teams that day? Or did you just, was it just one of those moments, obviously you talk about, obviously the 98 cup final, unfortunately you weren't involved that day, but the 99 one, was, was, that, was that the most special time? As a as a football player, especially when the FA Cup, I, I think obviously FA Cup means so much to every player, but especially in the late nineties, um, obviously it was in the old Wembley Stadium at, at the time. Is it just a, a boyhood dream, Andy? At that point, yeah, I mean it's it's obviously a boyhood dream to just become a professional footballer. You know, everybody, well, almost every young man wants to try trying to become a professional footballer. We all know how difficult it is to then be walking out at Wembley, um, where I mean, the walk from the dressing room to to the pitch is 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 very big. It's it's, it's a huge walk, and and you're trying to take it all in. You're trying to compose yourself, trying to keep on top of your your emotions. It's just another game. Well, is it hell? Just another game. It's an FA Cup final. The FA Cup now doesn't have the same meaning as what it did twenty, let's say, twenty years ago. Uh, and I grew up. Um, mesmerised with the FA Cup, you know it brings back so so many good good childhood memories. Um, I was an Everton fan growing up, and I remember Everton beating Manchester United um, in the FA Cup final. Then you've got the the national anthem, you've got the introductions. I'm walking out. Alan Shearer's my captain. Roy Keane's the captain for Manchester United. Two iconic figures in world football that epitomise the word leadership. Um, so just, just in, in, incredible, incredible to be to be playing in an FA Cup Cup final. And yes, we got beat, but for me, you know, it, it, 
it wasn't something that was going to come along. Well, I didn't know then, but I mean, it never ever happened again. With some players, it's, it's a regular occurrence, isn't it? Finals and trophies and someone like myself, it wasn't. Even though we got beat 2-0, it was still a, a wonderful memory. I think you're spot on about the FA Cup because even like back in the day, the TV coverage used to start at like nine in the morning and then they always used to have a helicopter in the sky like filming the teams on the bus on the way to the old Wembley. I, I miss that. There's something special about FA Cup final day. I remember sitting at home watching them two finals and it's just a shame we ran into two really special teams in Arsenal and Man United. But the FA Cup final you did play, Andy, as you say, you were under Rude Hullet then. How did that kind of differ? Because that was... A kind of that was an interesting period for certain senior players. Let's say, how was the how was, did the atmosphere differ between that of uh, when Kenny was there? I think Kenny was a little bit more, a little bit more relaxed. Give the players a little bit more freedom. As where Rude, I think he come in and tried to really rubber stamp his authority on on the football club. On on the team and with certain individuals, we, we obviously know uh, who, you know who he who he clashed with, um, and that was in my eyes not no no uh, through no fault of Alan's whatsoever. Uh, I mean, I look at it and think, well, why would you not want Alan Shearer um, in your team? One, he's a Geordie; he's going he's going to run through a bit wall for the football club, and he's like that's your twenty five goals, twenty five goals guaranteed a year, if not more. It doesn't kind of make sense, does it, gents? But uh, I'm sure Rude Hullet um, had his uh, had his reasons. You know, usually a manager comes in and wants to really rubber stamp his authority on the dressing room. Um, so, so I think Rude was very tactical uh, in terms of his in terms of his training sessions, in terms of his selection. Ruthless, brutal. You could have an 11 v 11 uh, on a Friday and if you give the ball away twice, right, swap over, you know, when you're out of the team. So the standards were exceptionally, exceptionally high. You had to earn the right in training, not just in matches, but in training to get into that team on a Saturday. And I like that. I, I, what I don't like is just players guaranteed spots. It doesn't matter how you train. It's all just about how you perform on a Saturday. And some people will say, well, yes, that's that's what you get paid for is, is your, your, um, how you perform on a Saturday. I totally understand that. But it, it's, for me, it's also how you conduct yourself um, in training every single session. Um, and I've come across some real iconic footballers, powerhouses in the game, winners, and they've all done that um, Alan Shearer and, and Stuart Pearce are the two players. Gary Speed, um, they're the three players that automatically spring to mind the standards that they have on the pitch, off the pitch, um, in training, how they conduct themselves, how you speak to people. But, uh, yeah, okay, snowball a little bit, but, you know, in terms of Rude Hullet, very, very brutal, um, honest, very direct, huge on fitness, um, and yeah, a little bit more carried, a little bit more weight with him in terms of cracking the whip, I guess, than what than what Kenny did. Kenny kind of sat back a little bit and uh, and give a little bit more freedom to to the players. So, 
and all the managers that you had at Newcastle, Andy, who tactically for you got the best out of you? Now, you could easily say also Barry Robertson was there the longest, but was it the likes of a Rude Hill or a Kane Daglish that you learnt more in your position? Well, I think you you learn from every single manager that you that you have. Um, there are only a certain, you know, there aren't a hundred managerial styles. There isn't. There's maybe three or four different styles to a manager. There's not just a new style that someone can bring in, really. So, you know, when I talk to to the to the players at the college, and when you're delivering. Um, half-time team talks or team talks at the end or before, you know, you're you're taking little snippets of all the managers that you've that you've had and you know and relying on on your experience. But I think, I mean, I had a wonderful time under under Bobby. I was very very fortunate to have him as my manager for I think it was five years. Um, yes, we had a couple of fallouts. Um, and, and Bobby was was brilliant for me. I think who 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 had the biggest impact. I mean, obviously Kenny brought me to the football club, so I'm exceptionally grateful for that. But I guess it was Rude Hullet that that really kind of made me believe that I was good enough for that football club. And it's a huge club, and it was uh, hugely successful, you know, and the expectations. So for someone like myself, it's easy to kind of doubt your ability and do I belong here? Um, but it, I guess through Rude Hullet, it was standards Monday, Tuesday, even on a Wednesday on your day off, what are you going to do on your day off? There's no such thing as, as having a day off as a footballer. There isn't. Um, Thursday, Friday, you bang at it in training. It's what you eat and what you drink, your recovery. And maybe that kind of, you know, just leaving no stone unturned, maybe that comes from his time in Italy where they are ticking all the boxes in terms of your preparation and getting you out there on a Saturday where you are 100% or nearer or as close to 100%. So... And I remember we played Manchester United at Old Trafford and I was playing left back against David Beckham uh, and Rude Hullet got me into the room at the hotel and he said, you, you're good enough, you're going to be playing against David Beckham tomorrow and you will win the battle. You will win the battle. And I'm thinking, this, <laughs> this is David Beckham. This is a... This is a... <laughs> this is a um, he wasn't a bad player, was he? No, he wasn't bad. He wasn't bad. I mean, um, David Beckham wasn't the kind of right midfielder slash winger that would get the ball and necessarily try to dribble past you to deliver his crosses. David Beckham, wherever he was, the ball was at his feet and can drop it on uh, wherever he wanted to. You know, we all we all know his his quality, but there's a lot more to him. His his work rate as well was was sensational. You had the ball, he's shutting you down. And that's what you really admired about that Manchester United team with its work rate, not just its quality. So I think, and it was Rude Hullet where I played, you know, I, I played game after game after game. Yes, it did under Bobby uh, in, a, uh, in a particular season, but then I was in the team and out of the team and in the team and out of the team. 
but I guess under under Rude Hullet, where I kind of learned so much uh, and really um, kind of felt I belonged at a club of that of that size, really, and I think that was through um, through Rude's uh, managerial style towards to, towards me, and that, I guess that stayed with me for uh, to this day, really. Were you sad to see Rude go then? Because um, obviously by the end of it, really well documented how he kind of just had the fallout with uh, Alan and Big Dunk as well and and reports were that he'd lost the dressing room and results were terrible. But you'd speak quite highly of him. So in the end, were you sad to see him go or was it just the right time? Yes and no. For me personally, he, he was very good in terms of my the development of my game um, from a confidence perspective, having that self-belief going into every game thinking I'm going to win my battle because me as a fullback back then, the, the fullback has evolved now. You know, we look at Trent Alexander-Arnold and Andy Robinson, the two best fullbacks in the world in my eyes. You know, there's not the millions I could do what they do. But, but the fullback back then, and particularly the likes of myself, was to just win my battle with my winger. And I thrived on those challenges and I, I loved the ugly side of the game and, and the rough and the tough. And, and Rude Hullet had a lot of faith in me and played me. And, you know, obviously very appreciative of that. But I also wanted to play with Alan Shearer and Duncan Ferguson. I was, I was an Everton fan growing up and Big Dunk walks in. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Blimey, he is the monster as well. <laughs> you know? So, and, and obviously the team wasn't... We weren't doing we weren't doing too well. Um, you know, Freddie Shepherd, the uh, the chairman at the time, um, huge ambition for the football club, wanted it to be challenging in the Champions League um, for the Premier League, and finishing thirteenth is is unacceptable. It's not good enough. Um, and Freddie wielded the axe and um, and brought. Bobby. Yeah, you're quite right. Sir Bobby Robson does come in in 1999. Again, five years with Sir Bobby. Um, he, obviously, when he comes in, it's a dressing room that's probably just needs a bit of an uplift, and you've probably got one of the best, or arguably the best man manager in the game. How quickly, Andy, did you realise that this could be a special time at Newcastle? Okay, straight away. Because it was Bobby Robson walking through the door. He gave us the 1990 World Cup, gentlemen. Come on, yeah. <laughs> And Bobby Robson walking through the door. It's just this is this is a godlike man, if you like. He's given the world and England so much, and. It's with Bobby. You can't speak of it, speak about him without, I guess, getting a little bit, a little bit emotional. Maybe he walked in. Now Bobby was the kind of manager who who managed through empathy, who managed through compassion. Now. What I'm not saying is Bobby was soft because let me tell you, he wasn't at all. You can't be that successful as a manager um, if you've got soft bones. He didn't. 
but you touched on it with his man management and his man management was key and it is it's key in any environment if you're the manager and you have people not necessarily underneath you because I don't like that term but if you're managing people you've got to manage them you've got to manage them correctly first and foremost like human beings and respect them and and through that Bobby walks through the door and automatically you have huge amounts of respect for him because of what he achieved on the pitch with England, with Barcelona, um, with Ipswich. You know, wasn't afraid to to get out of his comfort zone and go and challenge himself abroad. That isn't for every English footballer. It's not certainly not for every English manager. Bobby was one of the the first to do it and succeeded and succeeded in doing that. But then when you spend time with an individual, those respect levels either go up or they go down in how you conduct yourself around people. And with Bobby, it shot through the roof. It really did. Simply because he gave you time. He gave you belief. He gave you love. He gave you affection. And he would give you the biggest kick up your backside that you can imagine if he thought you needed it. And I got a couple of them. And we, like I said, we had a couple of little little disagreements and I was a little bit feisty. And that comes through desire to, to want to play. We, and Bobby understood that. So, like I said, man management is key. It, it's always been key. Probably more so now with the power footballers have. And we see the managerial styles of, of Klopp. You know, getting the best out of his players, the arm around the shoulder, wrapping certain players up in cotton wool, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And he was very good with with Laurent Robert. I think I'm sure I I've heard Alan say it, or I, I've seen it somewhere where Bobby's come through the door and he's got Alan um, to come into his office um, and basically said to Alan, almost like, not sure what's what's gone on with with Rude Hullet. But you're Alan Shearer. Your goals, goals, goals. You're my skipper. You're going to be in this team. I'll get yourself out there straight away. You've got, you've got, not necessarily Alan on 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 side. But there's your 25 goals. I mean, it's for me. It's not. I don't necessarily see it as being a genius. I think there's a little bit of common sense in that as well. It's Alan Shearer. The hardest thing to do, so they say in football, is to score goals. I think the hardest thing to do in football is to keep the ball out the back of the net. Hey, how many nil nils do you see? You don't really, you don't usually see see nil nils, do you? Not with Definitely not. United, you know, especially usually, around that usually time. Goals, usually, there's goals in in almost every game. Usually, so you know, go, going back to to Bobby, it was just a privilege to to have him as my as my manager for five years. Not many, not many people can say that. Not many can. No. Um, quite interesting. Didn't he once say you should have been a boxer? <laughs> um. <laughs> what was the story behind that? Because um, when, like, when we were tracking you down, I thought, well, when I think of Andy Griffin, I think of aggressive fullback who, who takes a yellow card more often than not. So is is that what Bobby's referring to there? And I can imagine training sessions 
when you're having the you know eleven on eleven or attack v defense around that time, I can imagine the battles between you and like Lauren Robert and Ollie Bernard. I can imagine they got they could get pretty feisty. I mean, well, I I was always taught, and it's just in me to train as I would play. There's yeah. no there's no difference for me. But there has to be common sense here, where you don't want to injure hmm. uh, Laurent Robert. You don't want to. Yeah. Well, I wouldn't think about. Oh well, I might hurt him. It's just how I am programmed. You know, I don't want to fall into the mindset of, all oh, right, I can take it easy in training. Oh, and then I'll just flip the switch for a game. No, the the, the switch has to be constantly on, constantly on with me. In terms of when Bobby said, you know, he should have been a boxer, he's referring to um, a game where I was playing for the reserves away to Aston Villa and I got involved in a little bit of a scuffle and, and Bobby, Bobby seen it. So this was on the Tuesday. We had Wednesday off. Uh, Thursday I've come in. Bobby's not spoke to me whatsoever. I mean, I got a straight red. Bobby hasn't spoken to me. and I'm thinking, what do I do? So I said to Alan, you know, should I should I go and speak to the manager? You know, what should I do? I always went to um, to Alan for a little bit of advice, and he said, "Yeah, go 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 speak to the manager." So I think we were. I don't know if we had an away game, but anyway, I went and spoke to to the manager. I said, "Gaff, I'd just like to apologise about um, about what happened um, the game against Aston." Aston Villa and he's just asked me what happened son uh, I said oh, I've got him for tackle and uh, as he's standing up he's stood on my ankle and, and then we kind of got at it a little bit <laughs> and then he's saying to me well I've seen the video son <laughs> like this <laughs> and he's, um, he's he's got his hands up and he's he said I've seen the video son like, and, he, and he's like threw a few, few little punches <laughs> Bobby has. He said he should have been a boxer. <laughs> and I'm and I'm obviously wanting to laugh, but I couldn't laugh. And Bobby's being funny without trying to be funny. Yeah. <laughs> so he should have been a boxer, son. And I'm like, he said, I'm going to have to find you two weeks' wages. I said, no problem. I said, I accept whatever punishment comes my way. Um, it won't happen again. I apologise, and then he just tapped me on the, the shoulder and told me to to get out of his office. Uh, and that was and that was that was it. You know, so served my punishment. And uh, yeah, so that's what that's what Bobby's um, re referring to. I, I was I would have been I was a better footballer than I would have been a boxer. Let me tell oh, you, yeah, I've not got no I've not boxing. Andy, 2002-3 was a season that Newcastle fans still talk about today, the the, the Champions League nights um, in particular. But Newcastle finished third that season as well. And people forget about that. Obviously, everyone remembers the Champions League, but Newcastle finished third just to Manchester United and Arsenal. Um, and there was a little game against Juventus um, at St. James's. Now, Newcastle had lost the first three games. Um, Newcastle had to win basically, to have any chance of progressing to the next uh, the next group stage, as it was, as it was back then. Um, I think, first things first, what do you remember of the game? And secondly, how many times have you watched that goal? I've watched that goal many times. <laughs> <laughs> does, many it, times. does it irritate it's a, you, though? It's a pick-me-up. 
yeah. Does it irritate you that, like, somewhere it, get, it still gets put down as a buff on own goal? Because it irritates me. So <laughs> really, knock you. Because for me, it's your goal all day long, and it really pees me off when I when I see buff on own goal. Well, the answer is no, it doesn't, um, because it was my goal. Yeah, too right. <laughs> Don't get me wrong, it was, it was a little bit of added help. Of course there was. I mean, he was on fire. You know, some of the saves he was pulling off that, that game were was just, just sheer class. You know, to then, yes, he made a mistake, uh, and it wasn't a, a great goal at all. But it was an important goal, and it's my goal. I didn't get many, so I'm not letting people take that away from me. But I certainly don't lose any any sleep over it, Sam, uh, whatsoever. Um, we managed to to win the game uh, 1-0, which then kind of, I guess, gave us a bit more belief. It was a great performance. 1-0 um, is almost your perfect scoreline. It then gives you that little bit of belief going into the next game. Um, but in terms of the actual goal itself, why on earth did Laurent Robert give it to me on the edge of the box? I'll never know. <laughs> you know, that left foot is either, surely it's either whipping it in and see what happens, or it's going for goal. I mean, that left foot would shoot from anywhere on the pitch. Sometimes yeah. it would hit the corner flag, and sometimes it would, it would nestle in, in the top corner. Um, and he gives it to me. And I remember taking a touch, going past um, a defender on the on the edge of the box, and then my next touch is quite a heavy touch, and I just thought to myself, "Well, just smash it across the across the six yard box, you know, just try and and, and who knows? Usually, Alan Shearer gets on the end of everything, doesn't he? And yeah, the ball's in the back of the net, and no one else has touched it apart from the keeper. So it's got to be my goal. <laughs> you, know, and I just, you know, you you just jump for joy. I mean, I have no celebration whatsoever. I rarely scored. So, you just jump for joy, a minute goes by, bang, you're at it, you've got to focus, you've got to concentrate, you've got to keep uh, Juventus from, from scoring. I, I, I guess I, you know, and I've watched the game, like I said, a, a few times, um, I make a tackle, I think it's the last personally, is better almost than scoring the goal because it's my job to keep the ball out of the back of the net. It was a good tackle. Um, and like I said, you know, we and we were a young team. Generally speaking, we were we were a young team, but we had we had plenty of fire, we were organised, we had, you know, exceptional players. Um, Kieran Dyer, Craig Bellamy, Shea Given in goal, Alan Shearer, Gary Speed, JJ, Jermaine Jennis. You know, so even though we we had a little bit of experience and obviously the quality, we were generally generally a very very young team. So to get a one nil result against Juventus, yes, it's great that I that I got the goal. I don't like I said I, I don't get many goals. Um, that then obviously takes us into into the next game against um, against Dynamo Dynamo Kiev. Yeah, I, I think from a fan's perspective, that game changed everything because it was just dissipating into nothing. And then that win against a team like Juventus, then the belief was back and the belief was there. Was it like that in the dressing room as well? And also, to follow on to that question, 
Was that week the best week of your career? Because three days later, you did score what can only be described as a thunder bastard against Charlton. Described as what? Thunder bastard. <laughs> uh, I mean, that was an exceptional week. Let me, let me <laughs> tell you. You know, you, you don't score, um, and then yes, uh, I mean, Shearer to Griffin goal. <laughs> Should be the other way around. Well. Well, someone to she- someone to Shearer goal. Yeah. Not, he's not usually Griffin to Shearer either. <laughs> uh, but Shearer to Griffin goal, and then I mean, I think I've just—I don't know—I can't tell you what my celebration is, but it's shock. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, kind of two goal, two goals in a week. Uh, yeah, the buses and all that. But in terms of um, you know going into the game against Dynamo Kiev. Um, and getting, I mean, I think they they took the lead, and we we mm. come back. I think it was a Gary Speed header, and then I'm sure it was a, an Alan Shearer penalty. Yeah. It doesn't miss them. So then, and they're always a very difficult team to play. Always, I think we played them away and got beat. I think it was maybe two 0 and it was very, they were very physical, very well organised, um, very athletic team, and and that was that was a very difficult game. Obviously, at St. James's Park, you got the home advantage, the crowd. We get a 2-1 win. Well, we just got to go to final and win, haven't we? Simple. (laughs) (laughs) Simple. Um, So, yeah, in terms of uh, the week, the two goals, uh, I mean, Sam, my overall time at at Newcastle was nothing short of exceptional. It just it just seems that season. I think if we had the season like that now, I think you're almost getting like parades around the city centre uh, nowadays. Um, obviously, towards the end of that season, Newcastle obviously get a third place, and then the, the following season, Andy was your last season at the football club. Um, when did you think that it was probably going to be the end for you at Newcastle, or what, did you did you want to stay? Was the contract talks? How did it all come about towards the end? You don't want to leave. You don't want to leave Newcastle. Put it that way. You don't want to yeah. leave. Why would you want to leave? You, at that time, you're usually going to be taking a a step back in terms of the players you're playing with, the crowd that you're going to be playing in front of, and where the team will finish. So usually, you're going to it's it's a it's, it's a a downward step, shall we say, unless you're going to Manchester United and Arsenal at that time, um, or a Chelsea or Liverpool. So it was always going to be a, da- um, a, st- a step backwards, but I kind of knew the writing was on the wall. I'd, I'd he- I heard a few little rumours that um, Newcastle were interested in getting Stephen Carr at that at that time. Exceptional fullback, um, and probably more a more rounded fullback than myself. You know, without kind of trying to do myself a little bit of a disservice, my time at Newcastle. And a lot of the games I played in were one-on-one battles. And that's kind of where I built my reputation, where you're snarly, you're aggressive. If there's a good winger, if it's Ginola or Harry Kuhl or Ryan Giggs or whoever, Pavel Nedved playing centre midfield against Juventus away, Bobby go, Andy, you're doing this. You, that's a challenge. And I'd be like, you know, um, dog with a bone, you know, going for it. Sorry, gentlemen, I think the light <laughs> You're back, um, you're back. So, you know, when you look at Stephen Carr and he had a wonderful engine, yeah. really trying to get forward, um, you know, like the modern day fullback, I guess, what we see nowadays. So you've heard those, heard those rumours. 
Um, obviously, Newcastle weren't coming to me with with a contract where that was worth staying for, really. And then you you have a couple of phone calls. Uh, obviously, it's uh, it's January. You have a couple of phone calls um, of different football clubs. Would you be interested? Um, so, so yeah. I mean, probably just before January, you thought you know the writing the writing's on the wall. But um, you know, may, maybe you get one or two players who who you know throw the toys out of the pram and you know try to become a bad apple and um, derail the train, if you like. Um, that certainly wasn't. Um, on my mind, you know, it was a wonderful club, great people there in terms of the manager, the players. Um, time for time for a new uh, a new chapter to be written, I guess. It, it was. It kind of coincided with the kind of end of that era because obviously Bobby didn't leave that long after that, um, following a poor start to the following season. But that that whole time under Bobby was really interesting, and it was such a inspiring team, and it had kind of on one half of the dressing room, for like from an outside looking in, on one half of the dressing room you had Shearer, Given, Speed, Harper, and then the other side you had Dyer, Bellamy, Bramble, Genus. Where where did you fit in in that, that dressing room? That is a crew. That is a crew. Where did you kind of fit in in that dressing room? Where where who would you kind of circulate around? Um, well, I mean, I was I got married very young, started the family very young. Um, you know, the, the guys you've talked about there, um, you know, the older players, the more experienced players, all that family settled down, um, understood their, their position in society, what they could do, what they couldn't do. And then Kieran, Bellamy, um, Carl Court, obviously young lads. Uh, and, you know, I was, I was a young lad, but obviously very settled. And I remember Kieran first coming to the football club and I kind of befriended Kieran simply because I knew him from the under 18s, England under 18s, uh, and we got along. We got along well, um, you know. But it, Titus, Bellamy, all all decent, all decent young lads, um, and, and and exceptional players. So I kind of, I guess, kind of maybe no man's land. Is that where I was? <laughs> so I, I would uh, obviously you, you'd want to spend time with you know the likes of Alan um, Speedo though, you know those kind of people because of what they've done in the game and, and who they were you know and you're you're picking you're picking the brains and you just want to be around them so then having more in common with with the younger players because obviously I was of the same age so I'd kind of flit, I guess, between between both. But you know, if there was um, you know, anything going on outside, you know, whether it would be you know the lads meeting up for a bite to eat or going to the cinema, usually I'd be uh, I'd, I'd find myself with um, with Kieran. But then Lee Bowyer come to the football club. Would he come to the football club? Um, another two great great lads who I uh, befriended very well. Yeah, it just seems like it was a phenomenal squad at the best of times. And what would they say? You look at the current day now, Andy. Uh, Steve Bruce is the manager. Obviously, Newcastle's game against Aston Villa has been called off on Friday, which obviously we hope that if anyone has COVID, that they get better as soon as possible. But what have you made of the start? 
so far, finally, uh, Andy, on um, Newcastle this season. Obviously, you're sitting in mid-table, uh, 14 points on the board. Um, where do you think Newcastle can... What do you think Newcastle can do this season? Well, it's always a very... It's a difficult job to take. It, it really is. Because of the... Because of the, the, the success, okay, the success didn't come in the shape of silverware. And if you're speaking to Wakey and you go, well, you're not successful football club because you haven't won anything. There you go. And just be as brutal as that. And I, can, and I guess you can't argue with that to a certain degree. Well, you did get in the Champions League. We were playing exciting football. And under Bobby, we were moving forward. We never stood still. But, you know, unfortunately at that time, we played against arguably the greatest Arsenal team that you're trying to trying yeah. to go up against. Arguably one of the greatest Manchester United teams ever. And this is not just for a year. This is for a long time that them two teams almost dominated the English. Then Chelsea come into it, become a huge heavyweight. Then you've also got Liverpool. So, you know, you, you you're fighting and scrapping against those kind of those kind of teams. It's I always think with Newcastle now it's about avoiding relegation and I know that might sound very very negative and it might annoy a few people um, that's certainly not my intention I'm trying to be I'm just being honest you know I see it with 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 Stoke City you had 10 they had 10 great years in the Premier League and within them 10 years I'm sure Newcastle got relegated maybe twice I'm sure they did yeah, yeah. You, can, you have to earn the right for three points on a Saturday. There's no such thing as a given, even a point. And the Premier League is a monster. It's an animal and it's, it doesn't take any kind of prisoners. And yes, you know, I guess if Steve Bruce is thinking, well, first, I think it's avoid relegation. Avoid relegation and then we'll take every game as it comes. And then let's see where we finish at the end end of the season. Are we a top 10 football club? Well, in terms of fan base and infrastructure, without a shadow of a doubt, but yes. But you're only a top 10 football club. And, and even when we speak about top 10, we want to be top four or top five. And I guess it's a sign of the times, you know, um, when Bobby left, it was it was a downward um, downward spiral, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, Rafa come in, did exceptionally well. Alan Pardew had that year, so it, it, it's a football club that really has kind of yo-yoed. I do think it, there's a little bit of stability there with Steve Bruce. I do hear through the grapevine that a lot of people are unhappy, maybe from a tactical point of view, and you know maybe the way they set up, maybe the way they play, and maybe it's a little bit too negative. It's very, very difficult to please every fan. It's it's hard, and I guess a lot of fans are still holding on to nostalgia, to the Keegan era, to the Bobby Robson era, where it was goals, 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 and we, you know, you'd usually beat teams, and it was excitement. It wasn't just a, a one nil win and tight defences. It was we'd been basically trying to score more than you, and it was free flowing, exciting, attacking, heartfelt football, passion. Um, so, for me, 
as long as Newcastle avoid relegation, they stay in the they stay in the Premier League, which is the best league in in the world. Well, maybe not the best, but the most exciting league in the world because what we've got now in terms of trying to win it, you've maybe got four or five teams. It's a very unusual season this season for obvious reasons. It's but generally speaking, I think it's the most exciting. If we look at the Bundesliga, it's one team. If we look at um, La Liga, it's two teams. Juventus dominate uh, Serie A, PSG dominate uh, their league. Uh, obviously, Scotland, we know. So, as long as they stay uh, in the Premier League and just try to build slowly, but you know, trying to get the, your targets bought, the right players that you've wanted, you've identified, trying to get them through the door. A lot of players want the glitz and glamour of London, don't they? Um, you know, and maybe well Newcastle are fishing um, out of a totally different pond to the likes of Newcastle um, Liverpool uh, Manchester City unfortunately yeah. I've never understood the London appeal I really I, I've never understood it what 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 does what has London got that uh, the North East hasn't got Johnny <laughs> oh, I don't know I don't know just a, a tube that's about it really isn't it um Andy, it's been absolutely brilliant having you on for the last 15 minutes, nearly an hour. Um, I think your service for Newcastle speaks for itself and yeah. I think you'll be welcomed any time up in the northeast when obviously restrictions are a bit uh, loosened. Um, but it's been absolutely brilliant having you on and again, I think just on behalf of all the Newcastle fans, thank you so much for your service and uh, thank you so much for your time this morning. You're very welcome. Thank you. And it was an absolute pleasure, gentlemen. Live the dream. Thank you. No problem. And so for myself and Sam Milner, we'll see you all very, very soon.